Serie A fans, bentornati. Welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. After several rounds, the Serie A table has a surprising look. Last year, four Scudetto contenders, Juventus, Inter, Atalanta and Lazio, are all standing outside the first positions. In their place are in order from the top, Milan, Sassuolo, Napoli and Roma. We will discuss this and much more in today's episode. I am Daniele Proc and I'm joined as always by Chris Manford, the host of the EPL podcast. Welcome, Chris. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Chris, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Verona's keeper, Marco Silvestri, has had a, a great performance against Juventus. He was key um, for his side. He was key to bringing home uh, one point from El Allianz Stadium. This past weekend, he was decisive uh, in maintaining the lead for his side before Milan was able to equalize in stoppage time. So let's begin with the San Siro game from Sunday night when Milan was held back by Verona in an eventful 2-2 draw. Would you say that it was more of Milan being imprecise with their offensive chances or Silvestri being unbelievable at shutting the door to the Milan players? I got three parts to this. Silvestri, Silvestri, Silvestri. You know, I said a couple weeks ago he had just had the best game of his year. Uh, And I was wrong because he was on absolute fire uh, in in this match. I don't know defensively where Verona maybe his shortcoming is that he doesn't he doesn't bark enough at his defenders uh, for allowing all those shots, but it enabled him to be the superstar that he is. Thirty shots taken by AC Milan and expected goals of four point seven. Wow, the keeper must have done some great work. Chris, in that game, Ibrahimovic missed another PK. That's three misses out of the last four, skying the last two. I have a scenario for you, Chris. Uh, let's say you are Frank C, who used to uh, be the, the penalty kick taker before Ibra took over this job. How do you, would you approach Ibrahimovic and ask him if, he, if you could take the PKs? And uh, if so, how would you go about it? First of all, I would go up to Ibra and give him a big, long hug and just hold <laughs> him a little bit, okay? So the truth is uh, he's um, at about a 60% um, success rate when it comes to PKs. And I gently remind him that the average is 75%. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants to be 100%, right? But, hey, you're going to hit your streaks and you're not. And I'd say, you know, for the foreseeable future, I'm giving you the ball, right? And, uh, you know, you, f- you focus on the things which work well for you. Him striking the ball at, at 60% or 70% is probably the equivalent of most people hammering it all. And, uh, you know, it's about getting the process, turning it all into a process where that's all, all he thinks about. And maybe he needs to get back to the basics. Uh, I'd certainly have him take a few extra PKs, but... When it's time, you got to trust him and trust the process. Yeah, I don't see Ibrahimovic even initiating a discussion about giving up on PKs. But uh, Kassir is a is a, a big guy. He can uh, he can try. He can have a go at it. Ibrahimovic, by the way, he um, he was definitely forgiven by the AC Milan fans with the header in stoppage time that uh, equalized the game. You know what was surprising was that. The cross by um, Ibrahim Diaz, it was a floated ball. And if you're not strong in planting your foot and standing there, uh, even resisting the pressure from the opponent, 
you're not going to score that goal because that's an easy clearance from a defender. He just pushes you a little bit and then has the ball away. Instead, he went over the defender and scored a goal. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been there, done that, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I think the point that you make is really nice to, to share with, with football fans about how do you generate power uh, when the ball doesn't have much power. Mm-hmm. That's a great insight there. Milan have the youngest teams in a team in Serie A with an average age of 24.9 years old, despite having Ibrahimovic on the field, who is 39. Also the youngest team in Europe's top five leagues by average age. Chris, they play simple football. Uh, they have young legs, excited to move around, press, attack and defend all together. Is this formula going to be enough to continue hanging out in the high places of Serie A this year? Uh, For this year, uh, you know, we said in the beginning, this was going to be a messy year, right? We just, Mm -hmm. uh, with COVID, uh, games every three three days. Um, So I think for now, I'm going to say yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the the big asterisk is what happens when, when they lose Ibra, right? And will they be able to compensate for that? Much in the same way was Milan able to compensate for Lukaku when he got injured. And the, the short answer was no. Um, so I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I really hope that the um, sporting director is, is having a look and saying, how, do we, how can we start to, to bet in some uh, additional strikers? Probably not in January. I just feel like that's going to be a gap that they need to go ahead and start thinking about now. Mm -hmm. Second on the table is Sassuolo. They were held back by a very organized Udinese side. That game, unlike Miran Verona, was uh, completely eventless. Only one shot on goal by Domenico Berardi, and it was a very shy attempt. Udinese positioned themselves in a 5-3-2 defensively and walked away with a key point, pushing themselves slightly up the table. Chris, what's impressive about seeing Sassuolo second in the table is that they are spending very little for players' wages. Their wage bill just adds up to a very modest 35 million euros. That's the eighth lowest in the league. To me, that tells a lot about the work of coach Roberto De Zerbi, doesn't it? It does. I mean, he is the one of the young stars in Europe. He's 41 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started his, his uh, professional career at AC Milan as a player. And he was a journeyman for 12, 13 years with about nine or 10 different clubs. Mm -hmm. Spent a lot of time out on loan, so not the most prestigious playing career. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's those players that really had to scratch and claw uh, and um, to really, really figure out what works. And there are teams every year. Last year, it it was a Hatafe or Sheffield United um, where people, uh, where teams somehow have some ingredients. And the first ingredient is a, a really strong coach, right? Second ingredient is, um, frankly, working, the sporting director working hard about having the right sort of um, squad, but also having a little bit of luck at the same time. The third ingredient, which is really important, is defense. And I think that Sassuolo has got a fine defense, but what's really helped them is their attacking prowess. 
Daniele, help me understand how they've been able to mm -hmm. build up some attacking prowess given their limited funds. Yeah, so they play a 4-2-3-1, which curiously is the same formation as Milan and Napoli. These are the top three teams currently in the table. So swallow their wingers. On one side, you have Boga. On the other side, you have Berardi. They're very adept at taking opponents on one versus one situations. And many times, they dribble the opponent. Obviously, that creates... Uh, numerical superiority right on the side and that creates the um the scenario for a cross for a shot for a, a quick play combination and then as a number nine they have a guy who just can't stop scoring goals that's uh chicho caputo 21 goals last year um they also count on um, can count on the uh footballing intelligence of uh, philip juricic he plays as a trequartista or as a number 10 and he's got the touch, you know, the oriented first touch already, uh, thinking before playing. And uh, his passes have been uh, unbelievable. He's missed the last couple of games because of injuries. But um, that's great chemistry on top for, uh, for Sassuolo. And uh, uh, in the midfield, we have Manu Locatelli. He's been called up to the national team. He really stepped up his game since the June restart. And uh, even his passes have been, uh, have been quite accurate. Well, so I will say we we need to obviously we're only twenty percent into the season, mm -hmm. but the they, their their schedule has been kind to them. They played Calgary, Spezia, Crotone, Bologna, Torino. They lost against Napoli, which is a higher quality. No, no, they they won. They won away oh, against Napoli. You sorry, I misread that. So mm -hmm. that's their, that's their signature win so far, and they tied zero zero against Udinese. So it's. They haven't gotten into the business end uh, of the league's league table yet, but um, you know they're taking care of business when they need to take care of business. Something to be said for that. Exactly. When you have to um, walk home with the points, you cannot, you know, you cannot fail to perform, and that's what what they've been doing. They've been taking care of business, right? It sounds cliche, but uh, you need to to make the points against all teams, especially those in the lower half. Of the table since you mentioned napoli napoli are sitting third place uh, yesterday they appealed the decision of lega seria to assign them a 3-0 loss by forfeit in the october 4th game against juventus and a penalty point in the table napoli's appeal just got rejected today so uh they still sit in third place with 14 points uh, which is impressive, in my opinion, given these two misadventures of uh, Gennaro Gattuso's side. Chris, what do you like about Napoli? Fabian Ruiz. I mean, he's magnificent. Uh, you know, he, he leads categories in Serie A when it comes to the number of passes per 90 and the accuracy. I mean, he's at 90, 92% accuracy, um, which is magnificent. Um, so he's um, fairly young, still only 24 years old really lively so i really think that he's a key feature to it he's kind of the thing that that makes the engine go what's your take on him he absolutely benefited from uh, the arrival of Gennaro gattuso his numbers in terms of passes and accurate passes specifically they uh bumped up they were bumped up especially when gattuso came because he uh based napoli's style on on possession and um and then yes he dictates the timing of the plays in Napoli's midfielders, uh, midfield, sorry. And um, like you said, his left foot is just very accurate. I'm going to tell you what I like about Napoli. Two things specifically. Uh, well, they play in a 4-2-3-1 with Ozzyman on top, right? But 
let's look at the average height of the three guys sitting behind Ozzyman. That's a 5.67 feet average height. I'm talking about Lorenzo Insigne, Dries Mertens, and Irving Lozano. They've been scoring, they've been providing assists, and they're very short. So I like how uh, they combine with quick passes using Osman sometimes as a target man to bounce off the ball. The second thing I like about Napoli is that they've been able to score with many players. And Chris, especially in a season when you have COVID uh, that causes players to sit out from games, you have a lot of games condensed all together, causing soft tissue injuries. I think that being able to score with many players and not being reliant on just one guy to score the goals, that makes Napoli a legit candidate for a, a Scudetto race. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, I think so. I mean, if you look at, at Juve, Inter, AC Milan, we've talked about the reliance of the, of the one big man. And you could also make a similar argument to, to Lazio as well, though a little less powerful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all going to come down to uh, squad management, I, I feel like, this season. The coaches and sporting directors are going to have to really earn their money on that part of it. So I think your assessment is spot on. Let's see if they have it. I, I think last year there were higher expectations and they didn't quite go as far as uh, people expected. But, you know, I, hats off. Absolutely. Uh, let's also discuss what happened over the weekend in uh, the other games. There were some uh, intense matchups. Uh, Atalanta hosted Inter. The game ended 1 to 1. Lautaro Martinez and Niranchuk on the score sheet. Chris, how did you like that game? Well, I was I am disappointed because I really wanted to see a full-fledged Atalanta and a full-fledged Inter. What did I tell you about my my score prediction? Please tell everybody. <laughs> you know, my memory's not so good in anymore, Danielle. Like zero zero or one to one because both teams needed a reaction from the disappointing losses of the days of the previous days. And so they were going to be more attentive, more careful defensively. So just two goals overall. Well, I agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, as, as far as uh, where was our, our, our man Lukaku for enter? Mm. Out with injury. That's exactly right. So I just feel Maybe like... Just the last 10 minutes, but it was, was just not enough to, to make an impact. That's exactly right. And you, one, one really worries, I mean, is concerned. An abductor is something that very easy to re-injure again. But XG was fairly anemic, 1.38 for um, Atalanta and 0.99 for Inter. Not much on there. Five shots on goal. Um, so wasn't um, really... Ex- it just seemed like they're missing a cylinder, and I, it's it's all the travel to, to Europa. That of their attacks, of which they only had 36 um, each, which is fairly modest, they only had 17 percent, uh, which which yielded shots, mm-hmm. and that to me just looks and feels pretty weak. The possession was fairly even; really didn't get a whole lot out of that, and even the duels, right? Who wanted it more? Pretty even along the way, though. Inter was a little more with respect to loose balls. So I just feel like that match was one where I wish people were were rested uh, and ready to go. You know, Sportello only had two saves. I mean, it it was not a a game for keepers, largely because if you don't have shots, you can't make saves. And and Danovic also only had two saves as well. 
So it was one of those things where uh, that was something that I had circled earlier in the season. Yep. And I was left feeling disappointed. So Atalanta, yeah, Atalanta are sitting sixth and Inter are sitting seventh in the table. And they both considered a fair amount of goals, 14 and 11 respectively. So what mm-hmm. I was thinking is that probably the international break comes at the right time for these two teams. Like you said, we are probably want to see these two teams more rested um, so that they're going to be able to perform at their highest level. Would you say that tiredness is especially for these two teams who are not performing as well as they could, would you say that tiredness is fatigue is one of the biggest factors, factors of this first seven games of the season? I, I think so. And, and we talked about in, the, in Atalanta's case, I mean, they have a fairly young squad, but I, I do think they're still trying to get their defense sorted out. You know, what's happening is is they seem to be underperforming both in Champions League as well as in their domestic league. Mm-hmm. Atalanta is sitting in, in third place in Group D with only four points. Of course, they're tied with Ajax um, uh, at four points as well. So they still can get out of it. Um, Inter is in fourth place in Group B. Now, they, that loss against Real Madrid really hurt them a lot. But I'm going to be honest with you. Um, if if Group B leader Montengladbach's got five points and Inter's got two, there's still some fight in Inter. Lukaku gets healthy. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a way they can progress along the way. And they just seem to be scuffling their feet um, through the domestic league. And hopefully that, uh, you know, I, I international breaks used to mean there's the word break in it. I don't know how yeah. many breaks <laughs> – these teams are going to be getting you know what's scary about that group is that for inter is that inter are last but third are real madrid so you know obviously two qualify but both inter and madrid were expected to finish in the first two places so it's not a great situation now inter are gonna have to win i would say two out of three if not all of the of the remaining games maybe two wins and one draw will We'll do it, but uh, it's going to be a tough one. Chris, another big game from the weekend was uh, was Lazio-Juventus. Uh, Juve uh, has been struggling to pick up pace in Serie A. They haven't lost yet a single game, but this was their fourth draw. They have been a little unlucky. They have hit the woodwork five times in Serie A. That's the highest of all teams. Ronaldo scored first, and then Caicedo equalized in injury time for Lazio. Chris, what are some interesting stats from that game? Um, you know, I, I am still struck by, and again, I know this is the way that Juve plays, but Lazio had 56% possession, a little bit more. Um, they were more on the front foot with 56 um, uh, at- attacks against Juventus 36. So I think Juventus is, they just don't seem to have that extra gear right now. And that that's that's what worried me. On an XG, you know, they had they had better opportunities than Lazio at one point six. Um, there were eight shots on goal, so it was an appealing game to watch with, as compared to twenty four shots in total. So they were certainly taking their chances, but um, I don't know. I just felt like the mojo wasn't quite there for two Scudetto contenders at this part of the season. And again. I hate to sound like a broken record, but I just think it's it's all the it's every three days. 
every three days. That just seems like a, a, hev- a heavy burden right now for everybody. Yeah, and let's not forget that Lazio were, were missing in Immobile. So that's a huge point for the Bianco Celesti against Juventus. And um, uh, Pirlo did say that. Pirlo said that Juventus still look a little slow, not as he would like to see his side. But as I said last week as well, Juventus in the past years, uh, they've always started a little slowly in the season, you know, reaching November where they were not in the top positions and then they would just pull off like a 15-game streak of wins, which then puts them magically on top of the table again when March comes around. Um, Chris, you know who could be the wild card of this Serie A season? That could be Roma. Despite Dzeko having to sit out because of COVID, they won with a convincing 3-1 to uh, victory away at Genoa. Mkhitaryan, former Arsenal player, stepped up almost as a silent leader, unexpected leader for the Giallorossi with a hat-trick. He also has four assists in the league so far, the most of any player. You think the EPL got rid of a great player too easily? I think so. I mean, I think Mkhitaryan was a victim of being the right player for the wrong system. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I will tell you, <laughs> there seems to be a, a very clear signal that EPL um, players that have not found bedded into the right place can come to the city and have a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I do think that from a tactical perspective uh you look at uh, ashley young has in my mind has been on absolute fire and mkhitaryan assist this past weekend that's exactly right and i'm just so pleased that they've been able to um you know really thought of as as castoffs uh and they've really been able to thrive in a in a really exciting league and you mentioned players coming from the EPL. Roma also uh, enjoyed having uh, having Pedro on their team. He's been uh, running like crazy. He looks he looks fresh again, and uh, you can looks tell five he, years younger. I mean, yeah, it's you crazy can tell he, how it's like. What are they eating down there? Where <laughs> Roma? <laughs> they're, eating, they're eating good pasta. Let me tell you about it. Um, and um, he just has he just brings something different to the table. He has a different gear. Um, what I was going to tell you is that um, Mkhitaryan, he had a hat-trick. The first goal, Chris, I wanted to just break it down very quickly. It was a corner kick from uh, the right side. The ball was, was, uh, was crossed in. And Mkhitaryan, who is not historically a very uh, successful or dangerous headers, um, like heading players, uh, he scored with his head. But I could not help but to think that Mattia Perin, Geno's keeper, he should have come out and caught the ball. Would you agree with that? No question. Uh, you know, I, as a general rule, goalkeepers on, on corners like that, if it's inside the six, you've got to own mm-hmm. it. And I will tell you, there was heavy traffic in the four, but you still got to come out. And even if you go to punch it and you miss it, you know, as, as I get older, you don't have to make every single save. You just have to disrupt the play enough not to get scored on. That's really the objective is to prevent goals. And I just feel that if you know, if you looked uh, at the replays, it's, um, he, pre- he backed in basically into his goal. Mm-hmm. It did. And, you know, I am a huge fan of 
it's more it's better to step out and cut off angle and hopefully get lucky get hit in the chest or get hit someplace than to back up into the goal and get 0.012 seconds additional reaction time it takes uh 0.04 to raise your hand from your your thigh up to your your waist so you there's no benefit to that and that keeper in that situation, and, and, and I, I don't want to generalize, but is not playing with tremendous confidence if he's not going out and taking eyeballs like that. And you mentioned heavy traffic during corner kicks, but that's exactly the job of the keeper to make sure that his defenders shield him from heavy traffic, right? You always get a guy that pushes um, the offensive players away from you because you want to have a clear path in case you have to come out and catch the ball, right? Yeah, I mean, when heavy traffic like that, you're probably going to be looking to punch the ball than any over anything else. Yeah. And I will tell you, you'll get jostled. You'll have you'll have strikers pushing against defenders. Defenders come to you as a keeper. You're not able to to have a proper takeoff. But but the truth is, you got to go. You got to yell keeper and hopefully put the fear of God in strikers, or at least a little bit of hesitation, and hopefully be able to just um, displace it just enough where. Mkhitaryan, what is he five seven five eight on a with with high heels, right? Where he ends up scoring a header like that. And and l- lucky for you guys in the goalkeepers union, every everything is a foul uh, in favor of goalkeepers. You cannot touch them, and uh, and these guys just just get the call. Um, you know what? Roma really clicked since they changed in a into a back three. Fonseca, uh, the coach Paulo Fonseca, he might have found the perfect formation for the Jalorosi so we'll see if they're they're going to be able to keep up with uh with the good that they've shown so far let's not forget that they lost the first game by forfeit 3-0 against Verona because of uh, a mistake in the uh in the list of players that they submitted to the referee what's happening in the bottom half Fiorentina sacked their coach Giuseppe Iacchini and uh, Cesare Prandelli uh, stepped in he's now the the new coach of Fiorentina, he coached the Viola about 10 years ago, so he's back on uh, on Fiorentina's bench. The last three positions are currently occupied by Genoa, Udinese, and Crotone. And uh, besides that, players now uh, are going to join their national team. Chris, we've talked before about uh, how players rarely enjoy a break in this very intense season. So I have a question for you. When Serie A returns in two weeks, do you see the smaller clubs so those who send fewer players to the national teams benefit more from this international break than the bigger clubs who instead are having half the roster involved in competitive games this week. No question. I mean, it's it's just there are some teams, uh, some national teams are going to be playing three matches. Mm-hmm. It's it's insanity as far as I'm concerned. Um, breaks my heart because. Uh, you're just going to get these muscular injuries. You're going to get some carelessness. Uh, and, and I get the fact that the respective FAs, the football associations, if they don't have these matches, they probably run out of money. So I get that piece. Yep. But with the lockdowns that you're experiencing in Italy and, and other countries, one has to say, when is good judgment prevail? Where is the leadership when you have the FAs, you have Serie A, right? You've got Champions League in Europa. No one wants to take any leadership because they want to make sure that they get the shekels 
um, that they were planning on. And I'm, I'm all for self-interest, but at some point, someone's got to step up for the players because that's the product, right? And I just feel like this is an, a really unfortunate time. We, the, the international players needed a break. I do think that the smaller clubs are, are going to benefit with, with the time off. Um, but it's, if you're asking Sassuolo, they want to keep, probably keep playing next weekend right if you ask the top the top teams that are not going off to europe but they're like come on let's bring it let's bring it so it'll be interesting to see how rhythms are made and broken what, what's your take on things i was gonna ask you so are you saying that different clubs across europe are playing kind of a game of chicken well i don't know if they're they're different clubs i, I what i'm saying is the fa wants to have their matches in because mm -hmm. they would need to collect theirs, as does champion, as does UEFA with champions in Europa, right. and domestic leagues, of course, want theirs. So none of them are willing to agree on. Okay, we're going to rest our players this week, mm. um, and I totally get that. Um, football is about money and economics, but when are players? Who's going to stand up for the players and say, "Hey, they need a break here. They're they're blowing up," and I just feel that. Um, doesn't make sense. And as a fan, if I'm not seeing my top 11 starters pretty regularly and I'm seeing the U23 team, of which I'm a supporter of, right? Let's let the youngsters play. But at the end of the day, if people are spending, um, spending money and they're not this year because they're not, not in the, uh, they're not going to the stadiums as much. But I just feel like there's a, there's a contract that's being broken between the the clubs the the fa and the fans and the players yeah there is um the associazione italiana calciatori which is the uh, association representing the interest of uh, football players uh, in italy um but yeah i wouldn't know how how would that play out who uh because i mean they agreed the the schedules the different calendars of the different competitions that have been laid out so any um any interference with that would be uh, we would alter the the format of the other competitions right especially in a season when you don't even know if you're gonna be able to finish the season because what if uh, italy goes again into a complete lockdown there have been talks this week that um prime minister giuseppe conte may have uh, a new decree saying that okay we're gonna go all into a red zone uh, emergency situation and we go again into lockdown what's gonna happen there are we still going to play? Are we still going to see Serie A? I don't know. It's still a question mark. Those are great questions. But if you look at what happened in the U.S. when LeBron got involved on whether the NBA is going to happen or not, and LeBron spoke with his friends Chris and so on, if Ronaldo spoke with Leo, right, and, and Romelu uh, and Ibra and just had a conversation and Harry – right? All these names about, hey, because, uh, you know, one of the, the interesting things in the Liverpool-Man City game is it seemed like Pep and, and Jurgen were having some angry words, mm -hmm. but they were violently agreeing that this scheduling is ridiculous. So, um, you know, I, I don't see any significant leadership. The only significant leadership, quite candidly, is going to have to come from someone like a Ronaldo, because that's the From only the players themselves you think absolutely but that's what ha that's what's happened in the in the nba right 
and people are going to listen. Ronaldo has 195 million followers, right? right. Those, are, those are larger than most countries. That's about the size of Japan, right? So that's the sort of thing that's got to happen. But I don't, I don't hear anything from Ronaldo. And I've, I think that the rank players, people that you don't know where they, where they grew up, they don't have a voice. Well, let me know if in the next weeks you personally hear anything from Ronaldo, if he texts you or, uh, or sends you an email. Great talking culture with you, Chris. The Serie A season has all the potential to remain unpredictable until the end. And who knows, for the first time in years, maybe we're going to have to wait until the very last match day to declare a winner. That's what we hope for. We will see you guys in two weeks after the international break. Ciao.